Well, we're continuing through First uh, Corinthians. Uh, as you know, we were going through it on Sundays, and we changed it over to today. And so we're in First Corinthians chapter 12. If you need a Bible, I think there's a couple over here on this table. If you want, you can help yourself and grab some. Well, let's pray once again, just as we uh, look into the scriptures here and ask God's blessing on our time. Father, we do ask, Lord, that our hearts be receptive to what you have for us, Lord, and you are at work, God, and you are at work within us, and sometimes it's easier to see your hand outside of us than it is within us, Lord, and yet we need to know and see your work within us, and so I pray tonight that that would take place, that we would have a little more clarity, Father, on maybe what you are doing within us and desire to do with us and what our purpose is in your scheme of things. Bless our time together, Lord, we do ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you want to open up there, and we're going to be starting at verse 14. One of the things that I think happens to a lot of us is after we come to faith, we believe in Jesus and we've, quote, been saved and we, we know that we have entered into this relationship with God. We, we like to kind of bask in that sunshine. We like to be just aware of that, kind of focus on that. And we sometimes can stall there. We can end up just stopping there and say... I got saved, that's all I need to know. I'm in the boat, I'm not going to hell, you know, whatever you might be thinking, I'm, I'm okay. And we kind of think that that's the end of the story, but that was really just the beginning of the story. The whole idea of coming to faith in Christ is so that your life can start, so that your life can begin, not that, okay, that's all I needed to do was say a prayer, accept Jesus, and now I'm good, I'm done. And so what we've been talking about is just this necessity of having the work of the Spirit within us. And I do want to take you to a couple of scriptures. Keep your little tab in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But go with me to John chapter 20. Because I, I want to bring some clarity in what it is we mean by being filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked last week about being baptized into the body of Christ, and we explained how baptism was a word that we kind of transliterated because we didn't have a word that made up what that was. And what would happen is they would immerse a garment in a dye, that they would put it underneath, and that it was called baptizing. That would take the dye and it would infiltrate the garment so that when you took the garment up, it would have the dye all throughout it. It would permeate that garment. And the idea of baptism was the same thing, that now our lives were to be permeated with God. And when we come to this faith in Christ, we are baptized into this faith. We're baptized into what we call the body of Christ. We become born again, born anew. As we've been going through 1 John, we, we have the life of God now in us. And we see that taking place here in John chapter 20, in verse 21. 
and 22, where Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, we tend to focus on that. What's that whole forgive, not forgiven thing pointing out? But what I want to focus on here is Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is a completed text. In other words, when he said receive, they were receiving. The whole example, an illustration of him breathing on them, symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming upon and within them. The disciples at this point were, quote, born again. This is where we see the new covenant taking place. It happens after the resurrection. Because for this new life to take place, there had to be Christ's sacrifice and his glorification. Jesus died, he rose again, and now he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And what he's telling them here is, you are now my agents. As you proclaim this good news, if people believe it, they receive eternal life. Their sins are forgiven them. If they don't receive you and the words you say that lead to eternal life, their sins are not forgiven. In other words, you have now the power that I have, the, the truth of who I am is now in you. You are now my messengers. And so we see here that they are filled, if you will, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is indwelling them. They are now containing the Spirit of the living God within them as each of us does when we come to faith in Christ. Just glance over to the other side of the page probably in Acts chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 4 through 8. Same disciples here. Jesus again talking. In verse 4, he says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. I like how it just says that so casually. He was eating with them. The guy is alive again from the dead, and he's just, ah, while he was eating with them. And so as he's eating with them, he says on them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father's promise, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water... But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait, I thought they received the Holy Spirit. Let's continue. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, God, are we going to get to be in power now? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set in his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so he's talking about this power coming upon them. It's no longer a matter of it being in them. It's something that is going to come upon them. What's important to know about this work of the Holy Spirit is this takes place time and time again through the book of Acts. The same disciples who had the Holy Spirit in them had the Spirit come upon them over 
and over again. Why? So that they could be witnesses. You see, it is impossible to do the work of God without the Spirit of God. And we need the Spirit of God not only to be in us, but to come upon us, to equip us and help us to be witnesses. It doesn't mean that we get saved over and over again. It is this constant refreshing of God working within us and empowering us, giving us his strength so that we can accurately represent him. And what I want to liken this to, or what I would tend to liken this to, is a relationship that, you know, when I said I do to my wife, 26 years ago, it wasn't over. Our relationship in marriage wasn't, okay, it's perfect. There's no problems. We got married. You're my wife. I'm your husband. We are now one flesh. It, it, everything's cool. No, there had to be a constant involvement, investment, rekindling, uh, getting to know each other time and time again because we're not the same people we were 26 years ago gained a few pounds, you know. <laughs> Things have changed. We have to grow together, and our relationship is not stagnant. It's active. It continually needs involvement. And so does our relationship with God. It constantly needs work, refreshing, dynamic aspect of it. And there are times where I will find myself coming to just a place of exhaustion, frustration, and I need God's strength and power in my life. I need it. I'm confronted with a circumstance, maybe it's a situation involving people that has just drained me. It has exhausted me. It's devastated me. It's hurt me. It's confounded me. And I come to a place where I'm like, oh God, I just don't even want to deal with this anymore. I need your strength and God is able to breathe within me anew hope and power and vision and vitality so that I can move forward with the things that God has for me. And so I wanted to bring some clarity here about what it means to first of all have the spirit within us and then what it is to have the spirit fill us and empower us over and over again because there's a lot of confusion about this and I think what we end up doing is focusing on the wrong things which is the gifts of the spirit which we're going to talk about a little bit today instead of focusing on the work of the spirit within us and that's really what is important in verse 14 of chapter 12 you jump back over there Paul has gone and told everyone here in, in the church of Corinth that they are brought into this body of Christ, that they've been baptized by the one spirit, even though they are many. And in verse 14, he continues this theme. He says, now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? 
If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell, or the sense of smell be? But, in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The body of Christ. This is where we get that idea and that term. Or the church. The church is made up of many people. It's not a building. It's not an organization, a denomination. It is the people that make up the body of Christ, that make up the church. And that's what Paul is bringing here, that we are all a part of this together. And it's an amazing thing. You think, okay, God, this is your plan to take all these people and make them one? I mean, do you have a plan B? Because this is a tough thing. It doesn't seem like this works all the time. I mean, we're, we have such a difficult time in getting focused just on being united. I mean, talk about all these people, let alone just a family, a small group. But God has designed us this way so that there would be a dependency on each other. And that dependency is because he is seen clearly through all of us as opposed to just one of us. And he gives this example of the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of smell be? And, and we've seen the cartoons, you know, of the Martians that are just a big eyeball, you know, things like that. And it's kind of like, that's kind of a joke, but it's really something that when you think about it, it doesn't make any sense. It, it, it doesn't work. It's not practical. And, and that's his whole point here. It's to show the absurdity of what that means. And, and he's bringing out two issues here. One is that people can feel either superior or inferior based on who they are. He's going to go on and explain how different parts have more recognition than others. Different gifts have more recognition than others. How a person speaking, like myself, might get more recognition, but he's saying, I'm not any more important. Just because you have this position doesn't mean that you're more important. That the recognition of that, an understanding that no one is more superior or inferior, that's not what's taking place here. And the reason this is important is not because too many people feel too good about themselves. I think the important thing about this is that too many people don't realize how important they really are. Too many people who are part and make up the church don't recognize how vital they are to the work of God. They think, I I'm not a big deal. No one knows me. No one recognizes me. And they misunderstand that you're not any less important to the body. That the whole needs you. And so recognizing that we're not alone in the work of God and that our part, whatever that part is, is very important. Verse 18, he talks about just recognizing that God arranges where we're supposed to be based on who we are. And he's equipped us for this purpose. In other words, God has given us the gift that is necessary to benefit the whole of the body. 
as he says, in fact, God arranged the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. And so God is the one who decides how we can be of service, how he wants. This isn't some grab bag of gifts. You know, you go and Santa Claus has a big gift bag and you go and reach in whatever you get. He knows exactly what your part is supposed to be. This isn't like when, you know, your grandmother gives you that, you know, polo shirt that's yellow, blue, and green and has a zipper instead of buttons. And it's like, no, Grandma, it's not even in the ballpark, you know. <laughs> Thanks for the effort, but I, I will not wear that any time soon. God knows what we need. And he equips us for our purposes. And it's important to recognize that it's as he's designed. It's how he plants it. It's what he wants to do. It's what he wants us to be. It's not a matter of what we want to be, and I think that's the problem sometimes, is we, we'd like to vote for where we get. You know, I really do want to be able to dance. God, you know, I, I'd love to be able to have that position, or I want to have this position. And so we want those things that we recognize, and God says, but that's not how I made you. You know, you're six foot eight, 300 pounds. You're not a ballerina. It's just not going to work. You know, you need to find your place in the work and how I've designed you and how I've created you so that you can be a part of this. But everyone is important. He, he continues talking about this. In verse 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatments, but God has combined the members of the body so that given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. And so he's saying that we take care of our bodies uniquely. You know, everyone came here and we're wearing clothes and we were all thankful of that. You know, he's saying that there's parts of you that you cover up for modesty purposes. Does it mean they're not important? No. They're important, but for modesty's sake, you care for them differently than you do other parts. But they each serve their place. He goes on and he talks about them or us, and just while our presentable parts need no special treatment, God has combined, verse 24, God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We are to work together as a whole. When my twin boys were young, one summer they got these super soaker squirt guns. Remember those where you pump them up and fill them up and squirt? Well, the neighbor got one too. And he was a bit older than them. And I remember watching them out playing. And he would come over there and he'd just start squirting one of them. And the other one would just run away because he was going to get it next, you know. And so the the poor one that was there was just getting blasted. You know, the neighbors <laughs> and then they came to fill up their squirt guns because it was safe. You know, wherever you fill up the squirt gun is safe. It's the safe zone. And so when they came to the safe zone, 
I went over and I talked to them and I said, okay, you guys, listen, there's two of you, okay? So what you've got to do is both position yourself and when he starts squirting your brother, you start squirting him in the face. And then when he can't take and he tries to squirt you, then the other one squirts him in the face. You remember this? <laughs> I remember this vividly because I was watching my, my boys get smothered, you know, and they were getting blasted and I couldn't have that. And so I gave them this instruction and sure enough, both of them go running up to Scotty, the neighbor, and Scotty starts squirting one, and then the other starts squirting on his face and goes, ah, and he tries squirting on the other and starts, ah, and he was just getting blasted. And the two of them were now having a great time because they weren't getting creamed anymore. And they were just sitting there and the both of them were just squirting and poor Scotty goes, I quit, I quit, I surrender, I surrender. And they won. Why? Because they were working together. They each had a part and together they were able to be victorious. And the same thing is so true with us. If we work to be effective together, we can do more together than we could ever do alone. You know, when Sunday mornings take place, there is a lot that happens before I ever get there. I might get there at 9 o'clock, but the sound system is already just about up and running. The chairs are out. The children's ministry is all set up with the kids. There is a whole lot more going on than me just getting up there and talking. I've got the easy part. There are a number of people at work taking place to make this whole thing work. And if it's true statistically, they say about 20% of the people in church do 100% of the work. Think about what that would mean like in our own bodies. What if only 20% of our bodies worked in the mornings when we got up? What would our day look like? Only 20% worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know it feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? It'd be hard to get out of bed. Only 20% of my brain is working until I get the coffee at least, you know? But that's what it's like. And think of how damaging it is to the work of God that not everyone sees themselves as important or as a part of the work of God. And why do we feel that way? Well, some places or some parts we just see as more important. You know, if Junior or Tony's singing, well, they're singing, they're important. If I'm speaking, oh, they're important. Someone teaching the kids, oh, they're important. But if you have gifts and you're not utilizing them, how devastating is that? That's important. And we focus on the wrong things, and Paul is trying to bring out the importance of that. You know, how much money is spent on hair? You know, and on hair advertisement. Why? Because hair is seen. How much money is spent on pituitary glands? None. See, but you can live without your hair, right, Mario? <laughs> but you can't live without your pituitary gland. It's yeah, just a small thing that most people don't know about. Or your liver, or your heart, something that's not seen. 
We don't see it. We don't recognize it. We don't give it that recognition. And yet it is vital to the body. And Paul is saying, you are vital. Whether you're seen or not seen, you have a role and a part to play. And it's so important that we recognize that role, that it is important. You see, if you have a gift of compassion or mercy, you need to exercise it. You, you need to put it into practice because we're not going to put an ad out in the bulletin. You know, if you're in need of compassion, see Jim. You know, here's his phone number. Go talk to Jim. He'll get you the compassion you need. This isn't some Craigslist of, you know, church that we're going to fill in all the places. But you see, if you have a gift of mercy and you're not showing mercy to someone, if you have a, a gift of generosity but you're not utilizing it, then your generosity is being missed. If you have a gift of encouragement but you're not speaking to anyone, then someone is not being encouraged. And all these things work together. That's why there's supposed to be an involvement, an activity. It's not a place you go, listen, and then leave. It's a place that you become a part of and you contribute to, even just by saying, hey, can I pray for you? Hey, can I help you out? Corrine and I have, through the years, been so encouraged, so blessed by people praying for us. There was one gal who used to send us Christmas cards. She still does. Every year she sends us a Christmas card, her and her family, and saying, hey, how are you praying for you? And whenever we see her, she goes, I always pray for you guys. This is years after we stopped going to church with them back in Pasadena. And she still prays for us. People who have given to us and helped us financially when we were struggling have been generous to us and have helped us make ends meet. We have been so blessed. This wasn't part of a church. This was just someone coming alongside and helping us. And we've tried to do the same thing. And we're all supposed to do the same thing. Why? Because that's how God has put us together. And you see, some of you... When you see a person who is struggling, your heart just jumps out towards them. You see someone in a situation and you're just, oh man, I, I, I want to do something to help that person out. And some of us, we don't even notice. <laughs> Speaking myself. <laughs> Did you see so-and-so? Yeah. Did you notice they were crying? No. Were they crying? Yeah. Didn't you notice they were upset? No, I missed that. You know, I just over my head. And some of us are, man, they're right there. Pick up on certain things. Why? Because that's how you've been gifted. Because that's how you're made. You're able to identify these things and help and move in that direction. And, and so we need to see these things. If, if you're going to be involved, then that's how you're involved, by being a part of what God has created you to be. And this is how you and I are honored, by doing what God has asked us to do. But the truth is, if we are suffering in ways, we are suffering in ways that we don't even know um, because we have people who aren't utilizing their gifts. And, and you see, what he says here at the end of this, he says, if one part suffers, every part suffers. This isn't something we can just do without. We are suffering. We are suffering. To what degree, we don't know. But we are suffering because of the lack of involvement with parts of the body that aren't involved. We are suffering. 
again, maybe it's encouragement, maybe it's mercy, maybe it's compassion, maybe it's prayer, maybe you have a gift of faith, maybe whatever it is, fill in the blanks. Because people aren't a part of that, we are suffering. And there's no working around it. This isn't, well, we'll just get by. We're suffering. Oh, sure, the church still moves forward, just like I can walk even though I've got a bad leg, but I limp. I can't run, I can limp. See, instead of us being able to run, we're kind of limping along. Why? Because not everyone is participating in what they can and what we need to do. And so he moves on to this place of recognition that you are important and you're supposed to be involved. And he says in verse 27, So now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, and now he's going to give a list of some things. First of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And the obvious answer here is no. His point is not everyone has these things. But he says, but eagerly desire the greatest gifts. And, and now here's this application and responsibility of placement. It, it sounds kind of like Paul is saying, you know, that there's no hierarchy, that every person is the same, but then he starts listing off these gifts and he says, but I have the best ones, it sounds like. You know, kind of like, what, what is this list about? And so there's kind of two ways that you can look at what he's saying here. One is that if you want, you can list these things out, but actually he comes to the end, he says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And he goes on, he says, and I will show you the most excellent way. And he moves into chapter 13 that is just this poetic chapter on love. And so after this list of things, the greater thing, of course, is love, the more excellent thing. So although you have all these gifts, you need to recognize that they all have to be filtered through this idea of love. Another option is that he's not listing an exhaustive list, but a, a number of things. And the placement isn't as important. You know, we're thinking, oh, number one is first important, but he might be listing them as far as a chronology. This is how God has started the church with apostles, teachers, and then these other things have gone on. And when he says eagerly desire the greater gifts, what he's talking about isn't, well, desire to be the pastor. That's the greater one. The greater gift is the one that is necessary, the one that is going to be helpful to the work that God wants to do. See, most churches that I know really need an administrator. That is probably as important as any other ability in the church. Someone who can take charge and say, okay, I'm an organized person. I'm going to deal with the finances. I'm going to help deal with the church calendar. I can help us to make ends meet so that we can pay for the school, pay for the building. Now we need to put money towards missions. We're going to provide salaries here. Oh, we need to take care of the government paperwork that needs to take place with our 501c license thing. All those kinds of things are really, really important to a church. And so we desire someone to step into that role. That's a greater gift. 
And so it could be a matter of what things are really needed at this place. And what usually happens with us is we start seeing this list and we say, okay, there's apostles, there's prophets, teachers, workers of miracles. I don't think I have that one. Gifts of healing. I know I don't have that one either. You know, administration. I sure don't have that one. You know, speaking in tongues and different kinds of tongues. We'll talk about that a little bit more later too. But we don't see something here that fits my bill. I don't think I have any of these things. Well, this isn't an exhaustive list. There are a lot of other ways that God gifts us. And the question then comes out, how do I know what my gift is? I want to know what my gift is. Tell me. Well, instead of someone telling you, how about you asking? How about us asking of God? In Luke chapter 11, verse 3, Jesus says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How about just asking God, God, what can I do? Now, here's a little hint. It's probably something you already have. It's probably something God has already gifted you in. It's probably something that you are naturally good at and are just unaware of it. There are a lot of people who are very compassionate and they're oblivious that they're compassionate. There are people who are generous and they have no clue that they're generous. Why? They just do it naturally. It's how God has produced these things within their lives. And so... Sometimes it's just a matter of being aware of what's already there in you. Being aware of what God has and is doing within you. Our leadership is going through uh, a process. It's called Strengths Finder. And what it is is it's a little <coughs> online test that's about 20 minutes where you answer questions. They'll ask you, you know, would you rather something be done right or be done uh, on time? You know, and you can either go five points in this direction or five points in this direction. And you might think, well, I'd rather, you know, I like it to be done uh, on time. I'm one of those kind of people, and so I put a three this way. And it's kind of this multiple choice, pick this one or this one. And as you go through, what they start to do is pull out just some of the things that you're naturally inclined to. And it was kind of funny. We had 14 of us go through these, and we started reading through them. And you just see naturally these people, yeah, that's so-and-so. That's them. You know, some of them are very analytical. Yeah, that's them. Some of them are very more uh, connected emotionally. My number one trait, because they list the five different traits, your top five, mine was adaptability. I'm able to adapt. You know, and I thought, yeah, if you've been in my life the last 10 years, you'd have to adapt too, you know. Four kids in five years, you know, it's like, yeah, you got to adapt, you know, all these different jobs. It's just kind of, and Kareem's was the same thing. Her first one was adaptability. And I'm not sure which one came first, but we all had to follow each other to survive, you know. But then, I mean, there's others that have belief, core beliefs are a strong thing. Um, there's just a number of them. What it is is to try and bring out things that you are talented 
in. And then what we're doing this Saturday is we're going to get together and we're going to go through a little bit more in depth and now look at uh, how can we develop the things that we are talented in? How can we put them to further use in the whole work and body of Christ? And we're going through this as a leadership because the idea is to see is this something we can utilize for all of Genesis and be helpful to everyone to see maybe what areas they're talented and help them in this process of moving forward. But our dependency isn't in a book or in a study. It is on God who gives the gifts. And I believe that God is able to give us insight and instruction in these areas, even if we don't go through a StrengthsFinder test. If we just ask and say, God, what can I do to be a part of the work that you're doing in your church, in the body? How can I participate? And the number one response is going to be love the people. You want to be a help to the people? You need to care about them. And that's really what he moves on here. He says, eagerly desire the greatest gift, and now I show you the most excellent way. And he's going to move into love. A love that doesn't seek its own. A love that is sacrificial. Because who cares if you have the power to tell mountains to be removed. If you don't have love, if you don't care about people, it means nothing to God. And so if we're looking to find out what does God want me to do, how does he want me to be involved, the first thing he's going to say is I want you to really love the people and care about the people. Don't tell me how good you are at something if you don't care about the people. If you care about people, you're going to have to step into their lives and be involved in some way. Some of us, that makes us feel a little awkward. Uh, I'm not a real touchy-feely person. You don't have to be that kind of a person, but you do have to care. You might not be involved with the emotional aspect of people. You might be involved in another aspect, but... You first have to care. The reason and the motivation for all that we do is because we care. Remember, just as that garment is baptized in the dye and brings up and now it represents the dye that it was baptized in, it has that color. It, it, you know, the dye was red and you pull up the garment and the garment is now red. It looks like the dye. Well, when we are all at working together, we are to look like Jesus. We should be able to see Jesus in us as a whole. And the way we work together is we represent him effectively. And so that's our desire is to be a part of this work and as we do that, if we're going to represent Jesus, the first thing there has to be is that love for people. Caring about others, wanting to be of help to others, desiring to step into their lives in whatever way we can that it can be helpful. Some people it's praying. Some people it's you know, fixing their car. Some people it's giving them advice helping them not to make bad decisions. Some people, it's just being a friend. Someone who comes alongside and puts their arm around and says, hey, how are you doing? 
look down. I noticed on Facebook, you know, you keep putting those comments, what's the purpose of life or whatever it is. You, know, you guys have seen those ones. It's like, what's going on with that person? You know, you have to send them a little message, you know, hey, man, what's going on with you? You're Mr. Eeyore all of a sudden, what's happening? And you find out, but just caring about people. And that's really what we need to do. Any questions on some of the things that we talked about here? Any questions about what it means to be baptized, as I talked about in the beginning? Or maybe questions about involvement or the gifts of the body that's talked about? I was that clear? <laughs> Let me ask you this question. If we were to do a Strengths Finder, how many of you would be interested in being a part of that? Just kind of finding out what your talents and gifts are. Okay. Just wanted to know. Huh? I'll let you know. We'll, we'll announce it. There is a cost involved with it uh, for the book and the test. Uh, it's like $14. Um, and then I, I don't know any more about what would be involved yet. We're going to go through our time this Saturday together with someone. Um, but anyways, just I thought it might be a stepping stone towards something to kind of help people just get involved and find out maybe areas that they could get involved with practically. Well, let's pray. Father, I do thank you for, again, just encouraging us to be actively a part of your work. And, Lord, not only do you encourage us, but you equip us. Not only do you tell us to, to care and love and help in some way, but you give us the gifts that are necessary to be of help in some way. And, and Lord, your gifts are always productive. They're always positive. You, you never give us... a a gift of condemnation or a gift of just belittling people. You, you always want to encourage and strengthen. And so may we always be mindful of how we can do that, what ways we are able to be of help to others in their relationship with you as well as in what you are doing with us collectively as a whole church, Father. I pray that you would once again empower us, give us your strength, Father, Help us to stand for you, to represent you, to live for you, Lord, in a way that people see Jesus in our lives, in our lives together. God, we are not to be loners. We are not to be isolated. We are to be a part of the whole work that you are doing. And Lord, that work is huge. It, it, it spreads throughout the whole world. And so, Father, we do pray that you would help us to see our place in your big work. Father, I pray for those who are sick. I know a few who couldn't make it tonight just aren't feeling well. I pray that you would touch their bodies. I pray for those in Japan again, Lord, who are just in desperate situation. I pray for my nephew, Zeph, and Claire and the baby, Lord, that they'd be able to come home without any problems, Lord, that they would be able to make it to the airport. And, Lord, that you would do a work within the heart of those people that they would see our love for them, Father, and, and 
ways that we can express it and help out. Lord, thank you again for your mercy. We do love you, Lord, and ask you to give us continued love for others. We do ask it in Jesus' name.